It's my privilege this morning to introduce our workshop speaker, Pastor Stephen Moore. Pastor Moore serves as the lead pastor of Horton Baptist Church in Waverly, Iowa, and he's served in this position now for the past 11 years. Uh, just talking with Pastor Moore, he mentioned that if he is there just two more years, he will be the longest serving pastor of Horton Baptist Church. I mean, my goodness, they've been around for like 160 years, and so, so he's, he's moving right along to get, that, to get that little badge, and so, anyway, he is married to his wife, Ellen, and together they have four sons and one daughter, Samuel, Benjamin, Jariah, Isaiah, and Emma, all of them cute kids, and I'm sure very, very well behaved, like all the time. <laughs> No, they're great kids. Pastor Moore is obviously presenting a workshop to you laymen entitled, What is a Healthy Church Member? And it should be well worth your time. So why don't we pray, and then we'll get right to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how grateful and thankful we are for this workshop that you've given to us. And now as we come together yet again, would you quiet our hearts, and would you help our minds to tune in to what you would have for us? We thank you for Pastor Moore. We thank you for his willingness to present in this workshop. May he think clearly and speak clearly. God, I pray for these men here. I pray that they would listen well, perhaps take good notes, and really take away something that they can plug and play into the Monday through Saturday of their real lives. God, you want us to be men who are revived ourselves, and you want us to be men who are plugged into churches that are revived. And so would you just help us? And may this workshop aid us in revitalization, for it's in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor David. I appreciate that. do appreciate all of you being here. Uh, I do understand this is uh, uh, an optional thing. So uh, I hope that uh, this reflects your heart's desire to, to see your church working towards a place of greater health. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can leave here and tell everybody that's playing Frisbee golf that they don't care about the church, okay? That's, that's hopefully not what is in their heart. But um, I, was, I was in the meeting uh, that was part of kind of the, the driving process of wanting to, to see uh, men's retreat revived and, and become men's revive. Uh, you know, the ladies have been showing us up for the last several years now, so uh, I'm glad to see you're here. Go get your buddies and come back next year. Uh, but we were sitting in a meeting, and uh, the opportunity to talk about doing these workshops, and uh, one, of the, one of the guys there around the table said, Stephen, we'd love to have you do a workshop. And uh, one part of me uh, was like, no way, I don't want to do that. And the other part of me said, I would really love to do that. I would really love to do that, not because of anything that I think I necessarily have to offer, but because I am excited and passionate about what God can do in local churches that are willing uh, to allow his process, his plan for the church to unfold. And uh, so as I thought about that, as I thought about what I have seen God do in the ministry that I am in, and let me say that again, what God has done in the ministry that I am in, I was just excited. I thought, Lord, if even one or two people from one or two churches could take home one or two things, I would rejoice to see you glorified and hopefully the church strengthened. And I do say one or two. I repeated that for a reason. I'm going to repeat it again. What I'm doing here today, a workshop on church revitalization 
is a wonderful example of the exact opposite of what I think it takes to revitalize the church. Pastor Mike mentioned uh, this. It's the, the, the concept of the, uh, the forth-telling, the proclaiming of the Word of God over and over consistently, okay? And I have a few minutes, one time, with several men that I'm probably never going to talk to again. So I will share some points, but I want to ask you to pray right now, and we'll do that in just a moment, that God will lay one or two of these points primarily on your heart and mind, and then one or two applications of that point. All right? Just something. Because I believe that if you take home just something and you say, Lord, I'm going to do that one thing. I'm going to lean into that one thing for the good of my local church. God will use you. I absolutely believe that. And so I'm going to pray again for for my sake and for yours. And as I pray, I invite you to pray with me to that end, that God would give you one or two things specifically from this talk. Lord, thank you for these men, these brothers who are here. Please help me. There is so much that could and, Lord, even should be said. I just beg for your grace to communicate a few big picture things that compounded over time and over obedient faithfulness by these men and magnified most of all by your gracious enablement will lead to healthier local churches. Help me to communicate, help them to hear, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm assuming a lot of things this morning. I'm assuming that uh, those of you who are in here know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, that you realize that you are a sinner with no hope of salvation apart from the completed work of Christ on the cross. If you're trusting in anything other than the shed blood of Jesus, you have no hope for eternity. It is through Christ alone that we can have a righteousness that allows us to stand before a holy God. If you don't have that righteousness, which is possible in a room this size, please talk to your pastor, your friend, or talk to me. I would love to show you from the word of God how you can know. 1 John 5, 13, these things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm assuming that you are a part of a local church. I use the word part. I want to carry that a little bit farther. I hope that you are a member of a local church. If you are not a member of a local church, I have a hobby horse that I would love to show you right after this, okay? But if you are a member or a faithfully attending part of your local church, I praise the Lord for that, and I am assuming that about most of you men as well. I am also assuming that you do recognize something that Pastor Mike already said. Your pastor, uh, or the pastor that you hopefully will have soon, if you're without a pastor right now, your pastor is God's gift to you. Yes, it would be awkward for him to stand up and say that. That's why preaching through the Bible expositionally is great, because you come to those portions of Scripture, and as a pastor I can say, hey, look, this is just what the Bible says, so I'm just (laughs) telling it like it is. 
But the Bible clearly says that God gave the pastors and teachers to the churches. He did that. Your pastor is God's gift to you, just as you are his, you are his charge. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but two verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. If you drop down a few verses, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's two sermons right there, and I'm just going to read the word of God and let it settle, and I hope the Spirit applies it where he needs to this morning. Because this reality of the local church is something only God could come up with. You look at any business model that is out there today, and you will not see the kind of functionality that you have in the local church. Jesus Christ, him said, you, Jesus Christ himself said, you know the Gentiles. You know what they do with authority, that they lord it over others. It's not going to be like that among you. But you'll be like me. I was in heaven, and I came to serve. And that's what leadership's going to look like. So the church and it's, it, the way it's, the cooperative leadership is so unique. It can't be done without Christ-likeness. That means you too, men. Not just your pastor. That's preliminary. The title of this talk is, What is a Healthy Church Member? I was given that title. That's also the title of a book. It's an incredible book. Buy it and read it. And then you will know what a healthy church member is, Okay. Because what I'm doing today is talking about a healthy church member in the very narrow vein of revitalization, okay? This is not going to be a general talk on how you can be a more healthy, godly Christian. If that's what you were expecting, I am sorry, buy the book and you will not be disappointed. But in keeping with the theme of this conference, I'm going to be focusing specifically on how can you be a healthy church member in the vein of a revitalization work in your local church. I believe revitalization is something that everybody wants as long as nothing in their church changes. Anecdotally, I don't think this is true, although maybe it was said. Somebody once said, we want a young, passionate pastor to come and lead us to do exactly what we're already doing. I'm going to share with you what I think are five clear, big picture biblical and practical principles, and I will share several, several specific act applications uh, or anecdotes from my own ex personal experience and my particular situation. I am the pastor of Horton Baptist Church. Horton, just like Horton, here's a who. We are Horton Baptist Church of Waverly, Iowa, and I have a Plainfield phone number. It's like witness protection for churches, okay? <laughs> we are on the crossroads in the middle of nowhere, and I love it. The only competition that we have is the local bar. I'm not sure if you should laugh about that or not, are you? <laughs> God is doing a wonderful work there. People from all communities around us drive uh, to attend, it's awesome. God is doing great things. To him be the glory. Our youth group represents something like six or seven different school districts. 
We're not pulling people away from churches. We are surrounded by small communities that have no gospel-preaching church of their own. And I love where we are located, but it is a unique situation for us. I pray that God will open your eyes to what revitalization might look like in your church, in your setting. I want to give you some direction this morning. I am not giving you a destination. I can point you in the right direction because God's word does that. I cannot tell you the end destination of what that may look like. I am hoping, just so you know where we're going this morning, I'm hoping to teach for somewhere around 40 to 45 minutes. I would like to leave a little bit of time for general question and answer. At the end of teaching, I will say, any of you who are done with this, you may leave. Quietly and as quickly as you like, you may leave. Not everybody's into Q&A, I get that. I want 10 minutes or so of, of general Q&A. If you have a question that you think applies to most churches or most situations, write it down. Please ask it. After that, I'm going to say again, you're welcome to leave. And then I will hang out here for the rest of the time or maybe even up to lunch. If you have specific questions that you would like to talk to me about, I would love to talk to you. Either If there's a lot of people that stay, we'll just move towards the front. If there's just a few of you, I'll just stay right here. Okay? Be happy to do that. So keep that in mind. I'm not an expert, but I have the ability to hit and run. Your situation may be much more clear to somebody who's removed. Stephen, what do I do about this? Well, the Bible gives you a really clear answer. There you go. I've done that at camp before. It's, camp is great for those conversations. And people have walked away going, wow, the nuance of this was clouding my judgment when the Bible is clear. Camp's good for those conversations. So that's a little bit of where we are going. A definition for revitalization was given for this weekend. This actually comes from John Jinks, who spoke at our IARBC conference. Revitalization is the process by which a local church acknowledges their spiritual unhealthiness by submitting to the truth of God's word and seeks help from the wider body of Christ. How many of you are trying to write that down? Raise your hand if you, I'm serious. If you're trying to write it down, I want to know how many times I should read it. Okay. Because if nobody's writing it down, if nobody's taking notes, I'm going to move on. Revitalization. The process by which a local church acknowledges their spiritual unhealthiness by submitting to the truth of God's word and seeks help from the wider body of Christ. One more time. The process by which a local church acknowledges their spiritual unhealthiness by submitting to the truth of God's word and seeks help from the wider body of Christ. That's the definition that was given for this weekend. Um, I am a simple guy. I wrote down this way, moving from decline or stagnation towards health. That's what I want. I want to see churches move from decline or stagnation towards health. I would consider that revitalization moving from decline or stagnation towards hell. But even what I've just said assumes something else, that you see the need for revitalization in your local church. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we actually see that? Do we see a need for revitalization in our local church, or does revive or die seem a bit overdramatic over to us? Revive or die, really? 
We, we've, been, we've been functioning like this for decades. I'm sure we can hold on decades more. David mentioned that I have five children, four boys, and then last, we got our little girl, our little princess. All of those cliches about daddies and little girls are absolutely true of me, okay? Right at the beginning, somebody, said, somebody gave us a onesie that said, I'm not very big, but I can wrap daddy around my finger. And the first time I saw it, I went, So I'm starting to learn a little bit about drama. Does revive or die sound just like drama to you? I hope not, because the reality is it may not happen in two years. It may not happen in 10 years. Sometimes the death of a church takes three generations, and I could develop exactly why I think it takes three, but I'm not going to do that. It takes three generations, but there are seeds of death three generations before the church actually dies. This is not overdramatic. This is serious. Decline is a sad reality. There are factors of decline that they talk about. And when I say they, I just mean different ones who research church statistics and things like that. There is the death of cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. I'm not talking about genuinely born-again people. I'm just talking about the, uh, the concept of cultural Christianity. That is on the decline. Biblical illiteracy is on the rise. State fair just happened. I remember being down at the state fair a couple years ago, and Answers in Jesus, Answers in Jesus, that's the new organization I'm founding. Answers in Genesis had their display there, and you know they've, they've started working with what has been the display there for a long time with the IARBC, and they have that cutaway of Noah's Ark, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Great big Noah's Ark. I'm standing in the booth, and a guy comes in, and he's there with his child, and his dad, or the child points at the ark, and he says, Daddy, what is that? Either this man had an incredible poker face or this is genuinely what he thought the answer was. He said to his son, that is the ark that Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on. And his son went, oh. And they moved on. And I just sat there. Blah, 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 blah. Cultural Christianity is on the decline. Not only that, but another factor of decline is this, the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The rise of the nuns, these are people who have no religious affiliation. A third factor that I think needs to land with some weight to this crowd right here is church members are attending less frequently. What it means to be a faithful member of a local church is on the decline. 50% is considered pretty good. If I make it there twice in a month, I'm doing all right. There are other issues as well. You can think of your own, but those are just a few of the things affecting decline. Whatever your current assessment of the health of your church, whatever your personal contributions to the health or the unhealth of your church, there are factors that are working against the spiritual health of local churches. Is that true? There are factors working against the spiritual health of the church. Satan has been proven wrong over and over again. He has been defeated in many arenas throughout history, but he will labor on because if he can just stop one of the promises of God, guess what? Satan wins. 
And if God has made promises through his church and to his church, and if Satan can somehow stop or hinder that, what happens? God ceases to be God. Now, we know that that's not going to happen, and we can praise the Lord for that, but Satan is committed to what he is doing, and he will work against the promises of God and the church of God until he is confined for all eternity. Spiritual forces are at work against your church. We need to realize this. And if you are coasting, or if your church is coasting, this always implies one of two things. Either you're slowing down, or you're going downhill. That's what coasting always implies. Revitalization, going from unhealthy to healthy, moving on to greater health, or even just trying to stay at a place of health, does not happen automatically. Would you please think with me this morning about your physical body? This is Men's Revive, formerly known as Men's Retreat. Do you know how I describe Men's Retreat? Men's Retreat is a large group of men running around on Friday night like they're 10 years younger than they really are, and a large group of men on Saturday morning limping around like they're 10 years older than they really are. <laughs> Think about your physical body, men. Think about the maintenance, the decay, the deterioration. What does staying healthy look like when it comes to our physical bodies? First of all, it takes honesty. We have to step on a scale every once in a while. We have to talk to the doctor and listen to the doctor. It takes intentionality. We have to have a plan to actually do something, eat better, exercise. We have to actually work at it. Once we have the plan, we have to actually do it. It takes commitment. We have to do it more than once. Wouldn't it be great if you could go to your local gym and pump iron for an hour and you were in shape and you're done? No, it takes repetition. What does it take? It takes discomfort. Being hungry if you're on a diet. Being tired after you've gone for a run. Being sore after you've lifted those weights. What else does it take? It takes change. You have to do something different. The ice cream and TV before you go to bed might need to become a different routine. It takes evaluation. Is what I'm doing actually working? It takes adjustment. What can I do to make this better? It takes celebration. Rejoice in the small wins. And last but not least, it takes repetition. You do it over and over and over again. Honesty, intentionality, work, commitment, discomfort, change, evaluation, adjustment, celebration, and repetition. Revitalization sounds like a breeze, doesn't it? All of those things are what it takes to affect your physical body. And now will you please think with me, what is the illustration for the church in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12? The what of Christ? The body of Christ. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you, and this is an outline if you want to fill it in, I want to give you five target areas to help with. Five target areas to help with in your church. The second part of this statement is very important. These are five target areas for you to help with. These are not five bullets for you to shoot with. 
They are five target areas for you to help with, not five bullets for you to shoot with. Do not go back and say to your pastor, our church would be better if you were doing X, Y, Z. Help him accomplish these goals. Help him maintain right priorities by you leaning into right priorities. Healthy churches are pastors and people working together. I have never seen a wonderful, godly, healthy pastor and a carnal, fleshly church, and the ministry was great. I've never seen a completely godly congregation and a fleshly pastor, and the ministry was great. I don't know if your church is out of balance one way or another. But I know that God has designed that those two things will come together and work together for the good of the church and the glory of God. So please, know that these are target areas for you to help with. Pastors have responsibilities and people have responsibilities. This morning, I am talking to you. I'm not talking to your pastor. Dean Taylor is talking to your pastor. And that's the worst part about me being here is I'm missing that because that man's got good stuff. Probably convicting, and so I'm glad I'm not there. But uh, (laughs) they're getting good stuff over there. There's no doubt about it. I'm talking to you. So let's apply it to you. The outline I'm going to give you is not uh, an unfamiliar one. It's not original with me. You've probably heard it before, but I have taken it and uh, just want to use it because I really do think these are principles for church revitalization. The first thing I want you to see there, what does it take? What are five target areas for a healthy church? The first one, and we've heard it already, it's preaching. It's preaching. The first one is preaching. Listen to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse, excuse me, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers, there are so many other texts that we could go to that, talking about the, that talk about the preaching and teaching of the word of God. A pastor of another church came to me one time. He was similar to our area, but he was several miles away. And uh, somebody in his church had come in, and they were trying to revitalize. And he said, go interview other pastors and ask what is the key to success in their church. Okay, this was not one of our sister churches. He came and he sat me down. He says, this is why I'm here. Horton seems to be doing well. What's going on? This came out of my mouth. The word of God builds the church of God. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I went, whoa, that was smart. (laughs) I hadn't thought it. I hadn't planned it. I genuinely believe in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me an answer that was far better than anything I could say, you know, even if I'd had time to prepare The word of God builds the church of God. I absolutely believe this with all of my heart. Look at the weight of the commands. I charge you before God, who is to judge the living and the dead. Folks, these are heavy verses. These are very heavy verses. But I chose this text over other texts for a reason that I'm going to show you in a moment. Do you agree with this statement? Gospel preaching, this comes from Pastor Mark Dever, gospel preaching should be at the center of our worship. If you preach the Bible, you will preach the gospel. 
the main thing we do when we come together is hear from God. Do you agree with those statements? I hope you do. What about this one? This is a, a, a lesser known pastor, Stephen Moore. Church people need to be participants in worship, not just observers. You say amen to that. Can I ask you, are you? I selected this passage not just because of verses 1 and 2, but because of verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. You can help the preaching in your church. How? <laughs> By enduring it. I wish there was a different word that Paul had chose. <laughs> My first sermon lasted 13 minutes. I thought the Lord was calling me into ministry. My dad said, okay, let's throw you out of the fire into the frying pan. I think I got that backwards. My dad gave me my first chance to speak. I went to the pulpit with three pages of material. I thought I had a solid half hour. 13 minutes later, I was done. So I went back and I basically tried to re-preach it for eight more minutes. I got done and I sat down next to my dad and my dad leans over and he says, Stephen, when you're done, just be done. <laughs> I have tapes of some of the first sermons from my first, pre my, my first church, tapes. I do not want to listen to them. They are in a box hidden behind books in a corner of my office. Even John MacArthur has stories of preaching. He preached one of the sermons, his first sermons in seminary. His professor reamed him out. How could you butcher the text? How could you fail that miserably? And John MacArthur says, I stood there, sorry. <laughs> one of the first sermons that John MacArthur ever preached was on the angel rolling the stone away from the tomb, and he preached the application of how God will roll away the burdens in your life. John MacArthur. Folks, I can be very honest and say I've hit very few home runs for the pulpit, from the pulpit. But praise the Lord for the occasional swinging bunt. I'm happy if I get a solid single. I was asked in a learning co cohort one time, what do you think you've learned since leaving seminary about preaching? <laughs> or have you learned anything? And I said, oh, I sure hope so. In our era of online preachers at your fingertips, it is tempting to compare. You can download the best preachers and teachers in the world to your phone on a daily basis. And then go listen to your pastor on Sunday. A dear, sweet widow in our church, her name is Donna Westervelt. On Sunday morning, she would watch Dr. Charles Stanley and then Dr. David Jeremiah before coming to church to hear me. And you know what she would say? Pastor, you're the best of them all. Now, Donna's a liar. <laughs> but I was so thank I am so thankful for her. And she was right because she's coming to her church and she's hearing her pastor preach the word to her. And that's preaching. 
And that's what needs to be in the church. Even if you have to endure it, endure it, Sunday after Sunday, allowing your pastor to grow and develop in his preaching. As long as it is biblical and sound, endure it. And also encourage, encourage it. Endure it and encourage it. Here's what I know personally. Many people want their pastors to preach great sermons without spending any time in the office. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. I'm not going to go too far on this because there are certain men who need different amounts of time. I would prefer to only have to prepare two things a week. Messages, Sunday school, whatever. I am in my wheelhouse if I'm only preparing two. Some of your pastors are preparing three or four and maybe more. That is a lot. If I'm in my wheelhouse preparing two messages a week, two messages or lessons, usually, depending on where I am in the text, I can get by with between 10 and 16 hours, 10 to 16 hours of study. I feel confident going into the pulpit that I've done the homework. Some pastors may need more than that. Some may need less. Some may have more to prepare. Let your pastor study. Encourage him to study participate. Somebody just said amen. You don't have to save that for camp. Say it in your local church. Pick your pastor up and say it again. I'm dead serious about this. I don't care if you have to write yourself a note right now. Say amen to something that he says this Sunday. Say amen to the truth when it is being proclaimed from the pulpit. Pray for him during the week. Ask him how his study is going. Provide for him to develop his preaching and his study and his library. And be patient. That's how you can help him. Now here's how you help you. Be an active participant. Pay attention. Have your Bible Your Bible open. I'm not harping on apps. I'm not harping on phones. It is amazing to have something in your pocket that you can access at any point in time. But I would encourage you on Sunday morning, when you're in the church of God with the people of God, hold a copy of the written word of God in your lap. Bring your Bible to church. Ask your pastor what the text is going to be so that you can read it. Don't ask him on Monday. He might not know. <laughs> I hope he does, but he might not. Ask him Friday or Saturday, Pastor, what passage are you preaching from? I just want to read it before I come to church. Pick one specific application and thank the pastor for it and then apply it. Look, I, I, go through the, I go through the greeting line. Good sermon, pastor. Good sermon, pastor. Good sermon, pastor. That's great. That's fine. I hope you say that. But be specific. Pastor, the point that you made about this, I needed to hear that. Thank you. Be specific. And then apply it. Apply it. Don't just let it end there. Talk to your family, talk to a friend about the message within 24 hours of hearing it. And then repeat, repeat every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Man, the word of God builds the church of God. 
Help your pastor do that. And help yourself and your church by you leaning into the preaching as well. Preaching. Second of all, praying. Spent the most time on preaching because I really believe that's foundational. If we think about prayer, what do we think of? We think of texts like Acts chapter 4 as the church is growing. And what do the apostles say? We will give ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. We need good, godly, spirit-filled men to take care of these responsibilities. Look, the deacons were not second stringers. Read the qualifications. These are godly, spirit-filled men who had a different focus and a different priority because the apostles said we need to give ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're not too far from there, so let's look at that one. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Godliness and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, that it is, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I have, was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. Number one, revitalization, preaching. Number two, praying. Pastors need to be prayers. Pastors absolutely need to be prayers. This is an area of my life that I am constantly working on and often failing in. But, just like Mike said up here a moment ago, I seldom get asked about it. I seldom get asked about my prayer life from the men in our church. I think there's a reason for that. And it's not just the assumption, oh, I'm sure the pastor has his praying life together. I think probably the biggest reason for that is the prayerlessness of men in our church. The prayerlessness of men in the local church is shameful. We have a text here that tells us explicitly, pray. And if you are a gentleman in here who has a vibrant prayer life, God commends you, please help the rest of us who are struggling. Model and lead, invite people around you. Men, we ought to pray. Pray personally. Pray with your wife. Pray with your children. Pray corporately. Pray publicly. It's not a personality thing. It's an obedience thing. If you will not stand up in church and pray, something's wrong. Well, you know, I, I may have sin in my life that I haven't dealt with, and I don't want to be a hypocrite then you take half a second to say, oh, God, forgive me. We'll do more work on this later, and then you pray. Or better yet, live a life of confession and be right. Be ready to pray. Men, you ought to pray. I don't know how to do a workshop. All I know how to do is preach, so I'm sorry. I'm getting cranked here. Valley of Vision, a wonderful prayer book, Puritan Prayers. If you want to learn how to pray, buy that book and just read one of those a day. I just read this the other day. Oh, Lord of grace, I have been hasty and short in my private prayer. 
Does that sound like some of your prayer life? O Lord of grace, I have been hasty and short in private prayer. O quicken my conscience to feel this folly and to bewail this ingratitude. Listen to this. My first sin of the day leads to other sins. What's he saying? My sin of prayerlessness sets me up to fail. My first sin of the day leads to other sins, and it is just and it is right that thou shouldest withdraw thy presence from one who has waited so carelessly for thee. Oh, man, we ought to pray. We ought to pray. Make time. Start small. Read a book. Praying the Bible is an excellent book. Valley of Vision is a model. Anything by E.M. Bounds is excellent on prayer. Talk to your pastor, ask your pastor. Men, be praying men. Practically, pray with someone at church each week. Pray with your pastor. Invite him to hold you accountable in your prayer life. That's a double-edged sword. You know what it does to him? Makes him accountable. The power of the word of God and the power of prayer cannot be quantified but they can be ignored. Do you think there's spiritual warfare in the world today? Do you watch the news? Do you read the paper? Do you know what's going on in your local high schools? Do you think there's spiritual warfare in the world today? Then fight back through prayer. Organize a prayer time. Keep it simple. Don't try to do a marathon 24 hours of prayer if you haven't done two to four minutes to prayer in the last three months. Start small. Be consistent. Revitalization happens when there's preaching, when there's praying, and third, when there's loving. Loving. John chapter 13. I'd love to take the time to read the entire chapter. We're not going to. You know the context. We're in the upper room. Jesus Christ is spending the last few hours with his close ones. He's serving them. He's washing the feet of a betrayer and a denier. He's loving on them. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. New commandment is that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. This is the mark. This is how they know you're followers of me. Because you love like me. I want you to raise your hand and keep it up as soon as you know the answer to this question. Okay? As soon as the answer goes through your brain, raise your hand and keep it up. I'll give you about ten seconds. When is your wife's birthday? That was good. That was good. Some of you may not be married. I understand that. That's fine. I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to keep it up. If you have purchased a gift, given a card, or spoken a word of encouragement to your wife or your children in the last month, hallelujah. Raise your hand and keep it up if you know when is your pastor's birthday. Sometime this year, I think. Don't need to raise your hand. I want you to think about this. Have you encouraged him in a tangible way in the last month? 
Am I trying to say love your pastor the same way you love your wife and your family? Well, in the biblical sense of John 13, yes. But this illustration is more to draw you to the point that you know things and you do things for the people that you love. Do that for your pastor. Where's the Ankeny people? Anybody from Ankeny here? You guys just had some kind of celebration for anniversaries of your pastor, is that right? How many of you know the anniversary date of when your pastor came to the church? Has he been there five years? Has he been there 10 years? Do you even know? You can find out. And you've got a phone. You can have it remind you. Hey Siri, you know? Or whatever you Samsung people have to say, I don't know. (laughs) Know these things. Love your pastor and demonstrate it. Your pastor might not, might not, excuse me, your pastor may not always be lovable. That's okay. You're not always lovable. You and your pastor may not have a lot in common. That's okay. He may feel the same towards many people in his church, but he's commanded to love them. Work towards showing love. Intentionally invest in the relationship that you have with your pastor and his family. Have them over just for fun. Have them to your house. I mean this. This is really practical. Within the next month or so, or I don't know how busy the the fall months are, have your pastor over. And when you invite him, I don't care if you're as honest as this. I was challenged at men's retreat to have you and your wife and your kids over. I'd really like to have you guys over for Casey's Pizza or whatever. That's the only reason, Pastor. Would you come over next Saturday? Be that clear, because you might be the person in your church where if you invite the pastor over, he's going to hang up the phone and go, what did I do now? (laughs) Don't make him sweat it for a week. Have him over as a fellow human being and enjoy God's sweet provision of Casey's Pizza with him. There is a couple in our church. I knew this was going to happen when I typed it. They remember my birthday, my wife's birthday, our anniversary, and all my kids' birthdays. And it is powerfully encouraging to me. It means a lot. The gifts are small. They're not huge and lavish. They're often decorated in the daily comics. Wrapped in the daily comics. But I walk into my office the Sunday before every birthday. And there's that gift sitting on my desk. It's not ostentatious, but it means so much to me. There's no reason that you can't start upping the ante on what it means to love one another 
when it comes to your pastor. Love your pastor and love the rest of the church as well. Get outside your holy huddles. Meet new people. This is where I'm transitioning from helping with your pastor to just helping you in general. Have a name tag Sunday. We do that every other month. Everybody wears a name tag. And I had so many people come up and say, I am so glad for this. We've been here three years and they've been here the whole time. I still don't know their first name. We're not a huge church. (laughs) Have a name tag Sunday. Many churches think they're more friendly than they really are because they are friendly to certain people. Visitors come in, outsiders come in, and they think you are cold and you are distant because you are only talking to the people that you enjoy seeing every Sunday. Don't do that. Love your pastor. Love the people in the church. Love them all. Preaching, praying, loving, and fourth, staying Staying. There are several biblical passages we'll go, we could go to, but I just want to share this as practical truth. H.B. Charles is the most recent person that I've heard say this. I've heard this idea from many others. Leadership is influence. Influence requires trust, and trust takes time. Leadership is influence. Influence requires trust, and trust takes time. Just a few weeks ago, I asked my wife, so I'm closing in on 40, we're closing in on 40, and uh, you know, sometimes you have those worst case scenario uh, conversations with your, with your wife, and um, I said, I said, Ellen, so if we, if we made it to like mid-40s, and I died, would you get remarried? Important side note, don't ever ask a question you don't want to know the answer to, okay? <laughs> I asked my wife this question, and her response was, oh no. I didn't know how to take that. (laughs) I looked at her and I said, that was pretty strong. What do you mean? Oh, no. And she said, Stephen, I absolutely love where we are. But I'm not going through all that again. (laughs) What was she talking about? She's talking about the growing pains that a husband and wife often go through. Because from day one, your communication was perfect, right, guys? Your awareness of your spouse's needs was perfect, right? Your parenting was always on the same page. Your priorities, your money spending. No, we went through growing pains. And because I've, because I've been a pastor long enough, I know what some of those things look like, not only in my marriage, but in church life. This is another they say, okay? This is just big picture stuff. This is what the pastoral cycle tends to look like. One to three years is the honeymoon. One to three years is the honeymoon period. Three to five years, often you will see some sort of conflict. Five plus years is often the most fruitful time in ministry. And somewhere between nine and 11 years, the whole system reboots. Some of you are flitting from honeymoon to honeymoon to honeymoon. You're never getting to those meaty times. You're never getting to the five plus years. Pastor Dave probably left, but Pastor David was just telling me that he went back and looked over the average tenure in in that church there was, was only around that four or five year mark. Pastors of 10, 15 years, 20 years, these are aberrations. 
Why is it good to have longevity? Well, number one, I already blew the 40 minutes out of the water. I'm sorry. Number one, there's pastoral confidence. More time in a church means greater pastoral confidence, greater ability and wisdom. Pastors will make better decisions in year seven, eight, and nine than they made in year one, two, and three. There's the settled family issue. If God ever calls me to another church than Horton, I am praying that my wife will actually go with me. <laughs> Number three, there's the schedule rhythm phenomenon. By the way, I, I took these from Tom Rayner. I don't know if I mentioned that. The schedule rhythm phenomenon, learning the unique challenges of your location in ministry life. Your city, your location is unique. It presents challenges and blessings. Number four, there's the community embrace. You are recognized, recognized and accepted. I volunteer on our local fire department. And I can tell you that even being in the community and doing things like that, I'm still the new kid on the block after 11 years. Think about Iowa, guys. Think about the Midwest. How many of you have multiple generations in your church? My great-grandkids might be able to say they're Hortonites. But until then, we're still going to be the new people. The power, number five, the strength of longevity, the power broker breakage. The power broker breakage. Do not be deceived. There are power brokers in your church. There are people who have authority in your church, and it's not always the pastor. Have you heard of the berry bucket principle? When a pastor goes to a church, there's a berry bucket on this side. That's everybody who's there. And there's a berry bucket on this side. It's empty. This is everybody who's in the church when he comes, and there's everybody who's in the church after he arrives. This bucket can only get emptier. People die, people leave. This bucket can only get fuller. And as that balance shifts, the pastor's ability to lead changes. And when things start to level out right here, when it starts to get 50-50, let me tell you what, the power breakers, brokers will come out of the woodwork because they smell it and they see the influence that the pastor is starting to have. Longevity gives the pastor a greater ability to lead. Just some of the changes that we've made in our church, we hired an associate pastor, we're on our second associate pastor, we went to two services because of just no space. We've started a once a month care group. These are things that have happened in the last few years and I don't think there's any way they could have happened in the first five. Just no way. Pastor James, he's not in here right now. Pastor James is our current associate. He is absolutely crushing it. Absolutely crushing it. So, so thankful for him. Doing a phenomenal job. He's got, a, he's got a degree from you and I in criminology and sociology. He was a Venton police officer for 10 years. And then he went and started working for Diamond V Feeds for two years. He has three seminary classes under his belt. <laughs> That's after we hired him. I'm not going to go into the whole story. I'd love to tell it. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But our associate moved on. The, the men had seen the value, and they said, you got to be out there. you got to find somebody. We don't want to lose this momentum. And James 
through the providence of God, pinged on my radar. And we were just supposed to talk about him pursuing ministry as a possibility. And it crossed my mind, maybe he could work here. I'm like, Lord, I'm not even going to think that. Six hours into our conversation, I looked at him and I said, if you will write a resume, I will put it before the men. And he said, what? He's been faithful, active, leading in his church. I said, if you will write me a resume, I will put it before our men. Guys, listen to me. When I brought the resume of a 10-year veteran police department, a guy who's working in a feed mill with no Bible college training or education whatsoever, when I laid that on the table in the deacon's meeting, I had to play some chips. Absolutely I did. The looks around the table were, what are you talking about? Who is this guy? Oh, he's a buddy from high school. We should hire him. No. There was a little bit of cred that I had, and God gave me the wisdom to leverage it, and it has been phenomenal. I would not have had that even just a few years ago. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that James is called to ministry. He's growing, he's learning, he's training right now. He is doing a wonderful job. But I think that was a hard obstacle for those men to overcome. But they, by God's grace and for his glory, trusted me a little bit as their pastor. And they leaned into it. And God's doing amazing things. Some of you might need to look around your congregation or your area for someone like that. You say, Pastor Stephen, we would love to keep a pastor long term, but we can't seem to do it. They leave us. We're not running them off. Yes, that is the reality but here's what you can and you should do to help keep your pastor as long as you can. This is is just good and practical, all right? It may sound a little self-serving for a pastor to say, but this is good and practical, and I believe most of it is biblical. All of it is biblical. And if you want further clarification, I'll show you that from God's word. Number one, pay your pastor well. Quit looking at the budget first and saying, what can we afford, and then trying to figure out who you need to hire. I'm not talking about this by faith, $100,000 salary when you've got 15 people. But quit trying to figure out what's in the budget and just doing that. Figure out what you need. We had to increase the package for our associate pastor by $10,000 to bring on Pastor James and his family. Totally worth it. Do the extra work so that you can maximize his salary. There are too many churches that just say, we'll give you a lump sum, you sort it out. Look, everybody gets tax breaks. I had a farmer complaining to me one time, or not complaining, he was teasing, he, he was teasing. He knew something that we were doing, we were assigning some of our money as pastors can, and you know, whoa, look at this, another tax break. And I looked at him, I said, don't you dare. <laughs> I said, I know what you farmers do, and he goes, well, good point, and he shut up. He buys his cat food and calls it rat control, you know. (laughs) Everybody gets tax breaks. And pastors do too, but that usually requires some work by the church. That takes work by the church. Learn how to do it. Teach your treasurer how to do it. Make it happen. Maximize the money you're giving. Give consistent raises. I don't care if it's $10 a week. A little something means a lot. 
Let them learn and grow. Give them continuing education allowance. Give them a book allowance. Give them a conference allowance and give them the time. Do not make them take vacation to take a seminary class or go to a conference. Yeah, but it looks like he's having a whole lot of fun at the conference. You bet he is. Let him have that. Let him enjoy it. Give them a break. Encourage them and hold them accountable to take a weekly day off. Give them vacation time and increase that vacation time. How many of you have a plan or something in your bylaws or whatever for a sabbatical for your pastor? I see, I see one hand unless I'm missing it. Two. Think about it. Read about it. Pray about it. James was a cop for 10 years, Pastor James. And then he went to a second job where he worked crazy hours. He would work 70 hours a week, and then he'd get extended amount of days off. I asked him if I could share this, and he said I could. He would tell you that even after being a police officer and working very long hours, being a pastor is hard and difficult work in its own way. Have personal and corporate conversations about this. Look for ways to bless your pastor and his family. Don't be difficult. Be willing to try change. Can I say this genuinely but humbly? Bigger churches offering more money have reached out to me in the past. I didn't want to go. And I don't want to go. Because I do think that the people of our church love me and my family. And I'm so thankful. It's good for them. It's good for me. It's good for the church and good for the glory of God. That's how you can help him. Let's talk about you. How many of you would move away from where you are now for a job that would pay you 15% more, but you knew that your children and your wife would suffer spiritually. 15% more of your salary, but your wife and your kids are gonna suffer spiritually. Where's the hands? I'm not seeing it. You know how many of you are making job changes or moves without seeing if there's a good local church in the area? One time in over 15 years of ministry has somebody who was looking to move talked to me about local churches before they made the move. If you're going to move, find a good local church before you go, or guess what? You stay. You stay put. Is there anyone here with five guys from your church, five people from your church? Raise your hand if you've got five. Okay. If five really close together. Are you five right here? Okay, five of you stand up. Five of you stand up right here. You five right in the middle, stand up. You, you five right here. Are you not from there? You just got adopted, stand up. <laughs> These five are from a local church, all right? What's your name? Jesse. Jesse, you seem like a great guy, sit down. Four guys. What's your name? Larry. Larry, seem like a nice guy, sit down. Three guys. What's your name? John, I like your head of hair. Sit down. <laughs> I think I know this guy. Will, how you doing? Good. Have a seat. 
Mr. Lures, stay standing. Five people who are regularly attending and participating in your church, five years from now, if they're not plugged into something smaller than the worship service, only one of them will be left. Five, I'm not talking about fringe people. I'm not talking about visitors. I'm talking about regular attenders of your church. If they don't plug in to something, I don't know how you define small group, but something small groupish, if they don't plug in, you'll have one left in five years. Thank you, Mr. Lord. You can sit down. You guys need to know this. And you need to lean into this. I don't know if it's Sunday night. I don't know if it's Sunday school. I don't care if it's small groups or whatever it is. You need to make relationships beyond just the main time. Lean into those relationships. Have a way in your church for people to connect. Stop shopping around and commit to the church that you have. If you have one, then stay there. Stay there. Here's my really practical application for this. You know what I want you to do? It may, it may not be able to happen right away. I want you to look at your calendar, and I want you to commit to six weeks of perfect attendance. You may have a vacation coming up, a business trip, whatever. Maybe you can't start this till November. That's fine. Look at your calendar and say, honey, kids, we're going to make it to church six Sundays in a row. We're going to plan this. We're going to work this. We are going to do this. I mean it. Make this happen. Help your pastor stay and stay at the church as well. Fifth and finally, I want you to write down the word evangelism. Again, we could go to so many places in the Bible, but these are just practical truths. Pastor Tim Capon said this. It's a wonderful quote. The future of every church is people getting saved. The future of every church is people getting saved, and this is so true. Anywhere from 75 to 90% of those who come to know Christ come to know Christ through a personal relationship. People come to Christ through relationship, not through events. If your pastor is the main evangelizer in your church, that may be okay, but he should not be the only evangelizer. Evangelism is an all-hands-on-deck experience. There are some churches that are sinking ships. Their pastor is bailing like crazy while those stand around him and urge him on, but no one else grabs a bucket. Your pastor has a task before him that's naturally harder because he has to go out of his normal routine just to interact with more unsafe people. You already have an advantage. Most of you, on a daily basis, are engaged with the lost. I challenge you to do this. Spend one hour in evangelistic effort each week. That may just be praying for an opportunity. Spend one hour in evangelistic effort. I'd be happy to share resources with you afterwards. How many of you can read? Whoa. Maybe we have a bigger problem than I thought. <laughs> if you know how to read, you can lead a Bible study. It's called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. You can sit down with that book, and you can read with an unsafe friend, and you will get one of the most clear presentations of the gospel that I've ever heard. And you don't have to answer all the questions. The book does. You can say this. Let's just keep reading. If you know how to read, which several of you don't. 
Churches are revitalized as pastors are reinvigorated to lead the work and people of the church are recommitted to do the work. Churches are revitalized as pastors are reinvigorated to do the work or to lead the work and churches are re- and people are recommitted to do the work. It is a team effort with divine enablement and divine resources available through God. His glory is at stake. Why would we not work? Why would we not sacrifice? Why would we not change for the revitalization of our local churches? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men and their patience. We want to see your churches do well for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Stephen Moore, for that. Can we give to him a round of applause just in our appreciation for him? That was great. Thank you. Thank you.